We, we want to think bigger and broader about who we serve. It's not just our clients. It's also we want to think about our industry and the communities that we're a part of. Welcome back to Women at Work, a podcast for and about the women of the remodeling and construction industries, brought to you by Professional Remodeler and Pro Builder Magazine. Hi, I'm Annie Sobolski, the Associate Editor for Professional Remodeler, and first off, I want to talk to you guys about the upcoming work conference. It's going to be live and online, but it's going to be anything but boring. There's going to be inspirational speakers, including the powerhouse Cheryl Palmer, collaborative breakout sessions and networking, and even a wine tasting. That's right, we found a way to incorporate a virtual wine tasting with a professional sommelier. Definitely attending that. And a quick request from me. If you like what you're hearing and want us to keep putting out new episodes, it would mean a lot if you would leave a rating and review wherever you get your audio. Even a short review helps us show support for women builders, designers, and business managers who are killing it at work and beyond. And on to the show. Everyone's journey looks a bit different. But Rachel White's path to the remodeling industry is truly unique. After getting a PhD in religious studies, she started off as a client for Big Meister in Newton, Massachusetts, before working her way up from project manager to CEO. We'll learn how Big Meister centers itself around sustainability, the company's approach to diversity hiring, and why Rachel views the home itself as her second client. So do you have any sustainability tips for other remodelers? Um, how do you pursue being green while also kind of like making green? Because uh, sometimes it's like hard to balance that. It's not something that I think happens overnight. I mean, this comes up in the, you know, comes up a lot among remodelers. Like, you know, I want to do an, I want to fix the, the air sealing and insulation on this home and, and upgrade the, the heating system. But all my client wants is a, is a new kitchen and, you know, they're, they don't ask me about the payback on their granite countertops, but they want to ask me about the payback about the air ceiling and insulation upgrades I'm proposing, for example. I mean, that's a, that's a common conundrum. It's taken us a, a long time to get here that we tend to attract people um, because we tend to attract people who share a similar perspective and values that we do. Don't shy away from having difficult conversations uh, with clients and, and putting your perspective out there. I mean, they're ultimately the ones making the decisions. But you're not going to um, be able to be green or execute a green project if you don't, if you don't put it out there. You know, so you don't exp- you know, bring it to your clients when your clients don't bring it to you. Keep putting it on the table. Yeah, you use the phrase exemplary stewards of homes uh, to describe the company, uh, but can you break that down for me? What does that actually mean in action as it relates to some of the other things that you've mentioned so far? We actually have two clients, at least two clients on every project. One is the the people, the current occupants, you know, the people who hired us, the, the owners of the home. And then we have the home itself as our other client and the, the future occupants, the, the next generation and the generation after that. Um, the types of houses in our area, we tend to work on homes that are around 100 years old, if not, if not older. So they have already provided, you know, in many cases, a century of, of service life and obviously been through several generations of owners. So when we think about stewardship, 
or what we mean when we talk about stewardship is that that long-term perspective of how well is the home going to serve not only its current occupants, but its future occupants. And so we want to make sure that whatever decisions that we make are decisions that are going to look good 10, 20, 50 years from now. So it's not just does the house, you know, look good and function um, for the, you know, first year, two, five, even 10, 15 years. But are we doing things that are going to help the house adapt uh, and continue to provide um, a high level of service to meet the needs of occupants that are going to be coming down the road? We want the homes that we work on um, to to last for the long term. So we want to do things that make sense, not just for the near term, but also for the long term. So uh, you've been bringing on women into the field, including women carpenters. So can you tell me a little bit about your approach to that? How do you diversify your team without, you know, tokenizing? It starts, it doesn't end, it's not the one, but it, a really key element is a respectful work environment. Anybody who comes on one of our job sites or participates in any way in our company, um, vendors, subcontractors, you know, they we have, we set the bar high um, for how we treat people and how we expect those we work with to, to treat us and to treat everybody else. For us, to some extent, it's been, I mean, it's been luck but not luck. You know, for many years ago, we were able to, attract an incredible um, female carpenter, Catherine Atio, who's a master carpenter and has been with us for decades. And so and she's an incredible carpenter, an incredible teacher, you know, hands-on practical on-the-job teacher. And so cultivating that talent, diverse talent, um, when you're lucky enough to attract it, is a, a huge piece of continuing to attract diverse talent. Uh, some of the, the women, um, female carpenters who we have hired in recent years have said, you know, we were one of the few, the few companies that where they, they, that they spoke to who um, had female field crew. So there is this, um, again, I, you know, talked about a virtuous circle. There is this, you, you focus on bringing in diverse talent, cultivating that talent, um, helping um, that talent to succeed, and then that that can build on itself. But you have to you have to go out and and make that happen. Your your question about about tokenizing is is a real risk that we need to always be looking at. Uh, we we currently have uh, one person of color on our staff. Um, our business manager Rhea is black and 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 female, um, and it's something that we're all highly attuned to and sensitive to now. How does she feel as the only person of color currently in our employees? And, you know, as Maria and I talk a lot about, about how she's feeling and she's open with the company, but what we've, what we've realized is that as we work harder to increase diversity. You know, we've achieved close to gender parity on our staff, but uh, we clearly have uh, work to do to encourage um, 
people of color to, to join and to stay, stay with our firm, that this is not something um, that Maria is the one person of color on our staff um, should be tasked with um, or should be primarily responsible for. Um, it's something that we need to, um, it's not her responsibility to fix, but it's our responsibility as a company. So another kind of uh, labor question that the trades has been battling is the increasingly crowded job market and attracting young talent. Uh, but on the Bigmeister team, it seems like there are some, you know, young, bright, shining faces on the, the Meet the, the Team page. So how do you get young talent and how do you keep them? Our emphasis on climate and on gender diversity and on social responsibility more broadly is appealing to the younger generation. Uh, you know, I've heard that again and again, you know, millennials and now we're sort of beyond millennials as at Gen Z. You know, that, that the, the conscience of a company matters a great deal. In terms of retention, um, we do, you know, you're right, we do invest a lot in bringing up our apprentices and sort of that on-the-job training and, and coaching and teaching. And we also have fairly generous education benefits, and we pay for all of our staff to attend conferences and to take advantage of other you know, training opportunities as appropriate. And so that, that really keeps people excited, the opportunity to learn. Our participatory culture really helps people who don't have as much experience feel like they have a voice and that what they think about things really matters. I mean, we practice um, open book management. We're in the process of moving towards employee ownership. Uh, so the um, founder and current owner of the company, Paul Eldrincham, is, um, is going to be selling the business to the workers, and we're going to be forming a worker cooperative. So the idea that people could have, you know, the, this sort of looking ahead, um, even if they haven't been here the number of years that they would need to, you know, be eligible to buy in, sort of that I could have a stake and a piece of this company's future, uh, I think helps keep people at Big Meister because um, there's a chance to really, really be part of it. And even in their, you know, first and second years, you know, they're sitting in on company meetings and um, seeing financials and getting a chance to ask questions. And, and I, you know, I think it, people, it just makes people feel like they're a part of it. Yeah, it's amazing when you can get that feeling of that you're producing something and you're part of a team and not just like a cog in the wheel. I was just thinking the same thing as you said, that, that contrast. Yeah. Um, every person matters here. Um, you really feel that in small companies. It's something that you need to cultivate uh, and practice. Well, do you have any advice for companies that do want to start moving in that direction? Any first steps? You know, if you're a company that doesn't share, um, isn't in the habit of sharing information about how the company is operating, do that. If you're not a company that's in the habit of getting um you know, your employees' opinions about things, start doing that. You know, if you're 
owner of a small company and you do everything, start figuring out what you're good at and what you're not good at and start delegating those pieces that you aren't good at and put other people in charge and make other people responsible for those and really try to keep your, your sticky fingers out of it. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, if you're, if you're used to doing everything yourself, you know, you're, you know, a three or four person company and, you know, you're sort of, you're doing everything and you're delegating and tasks other people, it's going to take some time. Thanks to Rachel for joining me on the podcast and to all of you for listening. Links to more information about Bigmeister and the 2020 Work Conference, which both Pro Remodeler and Pro Builder will be co-hosting this year, can be found in the episode's show notes. Women at Work is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else where you get your audio. If you like what you're hearing so far, I'd love it if you took a minute to rate and review the show on whatever platform you use. Our next episode will feature another female professional who is making some serious moves in her industry. And until then, follow us on social and keep on working.